So um, I think I want to start uh, by thanking uh, Mark for inviting the three of us to talk after Jennifer Gardner, who's saving the world. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really wonderful opportunity. <laughs> um, actually, I I'm, I'm, couldn't be more excited uh, to, to be here today, and uh, every year up front just gets better and better, and um, I do have to say, you know, Mark every year seems to top himself and find another great venue and another great group of people. And so I don't know about all of you, but we couldn't be more appreciative. And a little uh, shout out to Mr. Suster for taking great care of us. So I know, uh, you know, there's all this uh, bro talk all the time around VCs. And, you know, uh, you frequently hear you know, people referring to people going, he's a real rock star. Well, we got two real rock stars here today. Um, and um, I'm sure you all uh, know very well Alex and Drew and uh, what has been an amazing decade as the chain smokers. Um, after meeting in 2012, uh, it took them two years before they had their first hit, which was the viral hit. Uh, selfie, which interestingly, a decade later, it's as big a hit today as it was then, right? Like TikTok TikTok. is just not as big now. It's pretty giant. We tried um, to ignore it for 10 years. (laughs) It haunts you. It will haunt you down no matter what. Um, Since then, uh, their uh, music has gone platinum 25 times. They hold the record for the most consecutive weeks in the top 10 on uh, the Billboard charts, 68 weeks. Pretty insane. Um, Obviously, their shelves are filled with, you know... That's our team right there. There, we love those guys. (laughs) Grammys and American Music Awards and Billboard Music Awards, People Choice Awards, you name it. It's all there and well-earned and deserved. In 2019, they were named the most successful DJs in the world by Forbes. And despite or maybe because of uh, all the success, um, they were actually planning to just 2020 take a year off. And then COVID came along and the world took a year off. Um, But the funny thing is, is that uh, that's the place where they... Uh, sort of came up with this idea, um, which was to launch their VC firm, uh, Mantis. Um, and so today I want to actually talk about both parts of their lives, both their music life uh, and their VC uh, life. Um, so back in 2012, I, I guess I would ask the question, which is, were you actually musicians starting a band or founders starting a company? How did you think about it back then? Yeah, I'd say it was uh, half and half. Whether We definitely thought we were just music- musicians starting a, uh, starting a band. Um, we weren't very good musicians at the time. Um, we're okay now. <laughs> uh, Ten years of hard work, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, Alex and I met one night in New York City uh, randomly. Uh, you know, Alex was DJing as the Chainsmokers, and you know, you could find them in you know any New York City club, you know, in the corner DJing on a on a Wednesday night in Avenue or One Oak. And you know, I was go- trying to become a music producer. I made really uh, awful dance music uh, at Syracuse, and uh, 
I was finishing, like facing getting a real job, and um, I heard that you know the chain smokers, you know, one of the guys was going off to do his own thing, and the other guy wanted to bring in a a, a new person, and we just met one night, and uh, we're like, you know, had a five minute shit talk about common interests, and started <laughs> what would become a ten year business uh, the next morning. So in this politically correct correct world here, um, how do the uh, chain smokers strike you as a good name for a that's all Alex <laughs> yeah. it, I mean in, in really in hindsight like I didn't imagine it turning into this at all it was just kind of like a placeholder I used to smoke a lot of cigarettes and yeah. uh, just cigarettes right no <laughs> uh, and, uh, and you know and it was just like whatever we just need to put a name on the flyer who cares uh, it really honestly didn't think of it at all but like actually funny enough like you know, to your point along the way, I can't tell you how many people were like, you're never going to make it if this is your name. Like you're not going to get parties and corporate events and charity things and, you know, all these things. And we were just like, well, it's too late. Like, you know, we're rocking with this thing. And, uh, and, you know, we played like five or six lung cancer events in charity. I'm not even kidding you. Uh, Good irony there. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's just proof, you know, if you just kind of work hard enough and build something special, you know, the name becomes whatever. So, I mean, the thing I'm fascinated is, is that these guys uh, have had years, you know, particularly early years where they'd actually do 150 dates in a year. So just think about that pretty much every other day doing that and just how how hard is that and how much fun is the sex and rock and roll and drugs and all of that like how cool is that stuff <laughs> do you want to take this no one? no you got this <laughs> <laughs> uh it's i mean it's an amazing life and we're very fortunate to be doing the things that we do and 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 love the things we, we do but you know i think when we started chain smokers 10 years ago like we you know, there was like a serious conversation about like how hard we wanted to work and how far we wanted to take this. And, you know, I think one thing that's, we've done really well along the way up through, you know, a thousand plus shows at this point is, you know, we all, we saw all these events as relationship building opportunities where, you know, whether we were playing a p- dueling piano bar in Missouri, you know, or a frat party somewhere or a wedding or a festival, you know, everyone we met along the way was to us was an opportunity to build a relationship in hopes of, you know, really unknowingly seeing where it goes in the future. And all these people kind of the sum of all of our parts and it kind of really helped us in different ways. So, you know, we've had a hell of a good time. There's many, many crazy, crazy stories, but, um, you know. Any that you can share in mixed company or no? No, no, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. <laughs> I have a good hair story if you want to hear a hair story. <laughs> Why not? So, okay, everyone asks, everywhere we go, people just ask what's like the craziest fan story that you have. And, um, you know, when you get asked questions like that, your brain kind of zaps and it's really hard to remember anything specific. But in one case, you know, I was like, I thought long and hard about what this story was. And we played a show in this place called Trevino, Italy. It was a festival. And we get up on stage, kind of similar to this. We're kind of close to the edge. So imagine like this is just full of people here. And there's this girl that has this like really serious expression just staring at Drew and I, not having any fun. And it was like kind of disconcerting because everyone else is around and you kind of can't stop looking at her. And about like 15 minutes in the show, she pulls out a pair of scissors, or, or sorry, a buzzer, and starts shaving her head, staring at us. And then, uh, and then she kind of like takes it and like smears it around on the stage <laughs> and then starts putting it in her mouth. And we're just like, 
is anyone else seeing this? You know, it's just like, we're the only two up here that can have this bandage of this happening. And, and then she just kind of disappears in the crowd and we never saw her again. Wow. Yeah. So two things about that story. Yeah. One, he told that story to Larry King. Yeah. Second of all, it's completely made up. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, of all the experiences in, of, you know, when you, when you think of your music career... I'm interested in two things. You know, the, the, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. What's the most thrilling moment in your careers to date as artists and musicians? And what is the, you know, agony of defeat moment? What are those two tentpole moments that I'll, you... I'll take the first part. You can take the worst, <laughs> you can take the worst one. Thanks, man. Uh, so, I mean, I think, like, we've been, you know, really thoughtful about how we measure our success. And to us, we measure success in small amounts of progress. So, you know, I think that really allowed us to keep our eye on like the, the objective of just kind of working hard and making the most of all the little moments that kind of all got us to where we are now sitting on stage with you. So for us, like when you're starting out and you have like 100 fans and then you wake up the next day and you have 120 fans, that was like, that was significant progress to us heading in the right direction. So obviously there were like incredible achievements, like you know playing Coachella, winning a Grammy, you know having a song, go, couple of songs go diamond. But I feel like for those those are the moments we like often don't take in. We kind of just keep pushing forward. And so for us, it's always been like a healthy way of instead of saying like why am I not up at the top yet? It was always just like well I'm a little higher than I was yesterday. And, and I think like, you know, back to the days when we were hustling remixes on Hype Machine, you know, just getting a few more plays, getting a few more shares from a different blog, you know, having, uh, you know, charting a little higher the next day, next time, all like really made you feel good. Um, and I think but that's something... is there a moment like when yeah. you're in front of 100,000 people and everybody is singing, yes. you know, a song with you and you just like go, I, it's them, you could never have imagined that moment. Lollapalooza. It's just like a magical moment. Lollapalooza. Lollapalooza 2015. Right. We had gone to Europe and, you know, when you start off touring in the U.S., you build a little fan base and then you go into Europe and you basically start over. So we had just done that Europe phase, which was pretty grueling and didn't feel very great about ourselves. And then uh, came back and, uh, you know, we got the slot on Lollapalooza. We were supposed to play at like t 2 p.m., but it just, every Lollapalooza, one day gets rained out. Our set got pushed to a sunset. Like the big rainstorm gets pushed to like a 6 p.m. slot. Um, and we played the song Roses that we had made, put out probably three months before that. And um, we had no idea how big it had gotten in the States since we had been in Europe. And I remember we dropped it, da 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 da, da. this fire came up, it was crazy. <laughs> it was like everyone came in from the rainstorm, there were like, you know, 25,000 more people than should have been at our stage. And I remember just being like, this is the moment right yeah. here. And that song ended up being the first song in a run of really successful music for us. Fantastic. What's the one you want to forget and can't? Uh, it's not press related. Um, <laughs> Uh, I would say, I mean, the first, our, I feel like our entire career has been like a roller coaster. And I'm really, you know, the, I think the thing I'm most proud of about what we've built with Chainsmokers is the team, both on the music side and on the Mantis side and the other businesses that we run. Uh, because those are the moments where you really need people to push you through them. Um, and I think the first big challenge for us was, you know, this song Selfie that Jeffrey referred to earlier was... Uh, this viral song that sounded like none other, no other song that we had made before. We simply made it as a joke for our fans to promote a club night we were doing. This song quickly got bigger than us. 
you know, we thought we had this cool, credible indie, you know, electronic fan base that we now made this kind of joke dance song about that was a parody. Um, but it got so big, people forgot, you know, about all everything else. And I remember uh, we, we got, and, but it was very tempting because we got, you know, we got signed to Universal. Uh, we got our first, you know, million dollars. We got like, you know, a publishing deal, all the things that you want as, as an artist. Um, so it's like, do we embrace this thing and accept that it's just not who we are and then just try and, you know, prove to everybody with the real music that we want to make, which is what we ultimately decided. But a couple months after that, I think when the label we signed to realized that we weren't going to keep making selfies, um, they dropped us. And we were going in for a meeting that we thought we were going to, you know, pl- you know, make a whole, you know, career plan with them. And they were like, actually, there's just no, there's nothing. We're good. We're good on you guys. And I remember... <laughs> So you got fired. We got yeah. fired. We yeah. got fired. And I remember... I, what I, year was it? 2014 or 15. Yeah, and um, uh, I remember, and this is kind of funny, I don't know if you ever talked about this, but we went and met, we met Rick Rubin, which was a huge honor for us. And he's just a, an absolute legend. And, you know, I remember us explaining the situation to him and him telling us that we should probably start over. <laughs> like back to the name thing, yeah. like change our name and everything. And I was like, no, Rick, this is not the, you know, like you know, all right, idol so, of ours. All right, so everyone, when you talk, when you think about success, mm-hmm. what's more important, hustle or talent? I would say hustle. Yeah. If you like really statistically look at how impossible it is to make it at in the music business. Um, my lawyer said it's a bet. There's a better chance of him being in the NBA. Um, I, I didn't actually check those numbers. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, when you look at, you know, there are what eighty thousand songs uploaded to Spotify a day. You know, there's like I feel like there's less. Um, there, there's just so much content out there that's just happening all the time for no reason, for some reason, and. Um, you know, there's just so much to pay attention to. And I think that, you know, if you, you have to wake up every day and think at what your angle is going to be, try stuff, have it not work, um, you have to accept defeat so frequently and still get up and do it. Great. So let's move that over. So when you uh, compare, you know, creating and launching an album and a founder creating and launching a company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's... Sorry, go ahead. Go, please. No, no, no please. Oh. After you. You're on. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's what was kind of interesting to us as we got deeper into venture and had, you know, more interesting conversations. And it was just clear. That's kind of when we had the aha moment. We're like, wow, we kind of built our business a lot like a tech company. You know, we growth hacked our first promotional platform. You know, we have to build community. We have to find product market fit. We have to, you know come up with, uh, you know, go to market strategies and how we do things. And there's so many similarities between the two. I don't think they're, you know, exactly the same in, in, in some capacities, but um, I think that's what also kind of drew us to the venture space to begin with, because it, it's so fascinating kind of going through the motions of doing stuff like that. And it's something that, you know, we've gotten particularly good at, I think, and have, you know, some real insight into how to, you know, build that community and tell that story, because essentially that's all we're trying to do, no matter what your business is, is you're telling a story about something that, you know, you think is important that someone else needs and will enjoy. So, you know, the brilliance of picking a name like Chainsmoker sort of uh, against the grain, is there a pattern here that you pick Mantis? Isn't Mantis a 
creature that eats its mate. <laughs> yeah, watch out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the etymology of the word is uh, uh, is a Latin for soothsayer, someone who can see the f- the future, a prophet. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Okay, got to read between the lines. Ah, okay, cool. Um, so uh, you shared a quote uh, when you started Mantis. So I wonder, you know, it's the end of the days for VCs. When the chain smokers start doing this, <laughs> we didn't say that. Someone else yeah. said that to someone. We know. Oh, and it became popular, right? Yeah, if yeah. these guys can do it, yeah. it's the end, right? Yeah. yeah. So, how hard was it for you guys to get started? How did you get started? Where did the support come from? Where did the financial backing yeah. come from? I All think, of like, that stuff. Humility and being self-aware are two of our strengths. You know, I think knowing what we don't know is a big part of you know how we've gotten to where we are and with the support of people around us and the relationships we built. And, you know, I think early on we understood that, you know, we were going to have to go out and prove to the world that, you know, we were serious about this and, and we respected the people that have come before us and the people that are doing it right now. And so, you know, luckily COVID kind of helped us in some capacity because we had endless amount of time now uh, at home doing nothing. So, you know, we spent probably about two and a half years reaching out to anyone and everyone that would speak to us. And then every conversation generally led to three new conversations. And, you know, the, the, the core of all those conversations was just, you know, the respect we had for those people, really just asking questions about their experiences, things they wish they knew when they started. And, and I think through all those conversations, people began to take notice that, you know, we were serious about this and we really cared. And, you know, I understand that everyone has this kind of public persona or perception of just, you know, their online personality. And, you know, but we, we know who we are at our core. And, you know, we understood that we had a lot of work to do to prove to people um, the types of, you know, hustlers we were and the, and the type of impact we wanted to make on the space through, through our vehicle. And, you know, that was some of, you know, my favorite years, having those opportunities to speak to people and, and learn and listen. Was it the tech that interested you? Was it the characteristics of the, of the people, of the entrepreneurs? The, what was it that made that lane the one that you got excited about? Uh, we had a, um, a few experiences in probably 2015 or 16 as, you know, chain smokers were becoming uh, very popular, uh, you know, through our uh, uh, residency in Vegas and through our shows, we had a lot of um, tech entrepreneurs coming to our shows. Um, and we met some of the most impactful ones around that time. And uh, we realized we just had more in common w- with them than most musicians. Uh, we thought the same way. We same same way we thought about chain smokers. We had a lot in common the way they were building their businesses, and um, it was a whole new world. It was like a, a fountain of youth and like a, a, a wealth of information that we hadn't tapped into yet. And um, it was a scene that just really attracted us. So that was definitely the initial spark. And and what did they see in you guys? Right. So I understand. What, okay, that's what interested you in sort of going out and exploring and meeting this you know next generation of creators um, around tech. What did you have to offer them? I mean, I think a number of things. I mean, I think what we do best is we acknowledge people. You know, uh, through a conversation with Jimmy Buffett we had a long time ago. You know, he kind of broke down how he created his empire through, you know, the relationships that he has with their fans at different stages in their career. Like, he's building retirement homes for them now. And, uh, and so, you know, we thought long and hard about that. Like, what are the core principles of, of chain smokers? And it's, you know, really the power of acknowledge, acknowledging people 
and and building those relationships up and connecting. And so for us, like, you know, we're very hands-on listeners and, and hustlers. So we felt like, you know, we've built a global business. You know, we can understand how at the early stages really help a company uh, refine their vision and help them build relationships with design partners or bigger enterprise customers and really get our hands dirty. And I think, you know, when you're building something early on, like you want that support, that hands-on feeling. And, you know, the purpose of Mint isn't necessarily right now to replace, you know, the incredible institutional investors that exist out there and have been around for, for a while, but we want to be their Robin to their Batman. And we think there's a way that we can kind of partner with everybody in the space and be that really, uh, and provide, you know, our founders that holistic support they need. And we really care, you know, and we're hustlers. And I think, you know, it's inspiring to work alongside people that share that same energy. And, you know, we're constantly working on ourselves. And I feel like it takes a really special type of human being to be successful in this world, you know, level of grit and determination and something that's continually fueled us. Um, and we want to invest in people like that. And, you know, and that's really exciting. So uh, great. So how come you've stayed away from music and the sort of larger ecosystem as a place to invest? Obviously a world you know inside and out. Um, why have you sort of stayed away from that? Yeah, I mean, the music industry, first of all, is a really like tough nut to crack. We also know it just way too well. We're, we're way too close it. We're very too cynical about like the way things operate. Um, and I think venture favors a lo certain level of optimism that's really hard for us to have with the music industry. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's just, you know, I, we're, we're just really in the nitty grit of it. And we see, you know, all of the deal. It's, you know, it, it's an industry that's based off of. I mean, there's a lot of predatory deals and there's a lot of, uh, you just see the dynamic between artists and label and you kind of see, you know, as technology, especially social media is giving a platform to a lot of artists, um, kind of like a lot of the steps for the, the things that are need are needed for, you know, artists to take the power back in their own hands is like, they're already kind of happening. Um, so we haven't seen anything yet that's been, right. we felt is game changing. How do you know when either an idea coming from an entrepreneur or a song you've created or someone else's is going to work or not going to work? That's or do you? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I feel like, you know, we make a lot of music and every time we make something, at least finish it, we're like, this is the best song ever. Um, and you should believe that, you know, it's yeah. your job to believe that. But I think part, the important part of that is and that we learned this early on in our career is that you know, it's important to put things out into the world and get feedback, honest feedback. You know, we have a group of friends we play everything for. They say everything's the best song ever, and they're wrong most of the time. Um, but, you know, it's great to get their support and, and feel good about things. But I think, you know, it's similar to products or services that you're building. It's, it's important to get real-life feedback out there and iterate on those things. And there's really just no substitute for that. And I understand, you know, people are perfectionists and they really want to get something exactly right. And I think there's value in, in really pushing it as far as you can. But, I mean, Drew will tell you, I think, what, the only song, two songs that you think you've yeah. ever fully finished are... Probably Don't Let Me Down. Riptide, right? Yeah. Riptide, yeah. <laughs> uh, the rest of them I could always keep working on. So uh, luckily I have Alex like pull things away <laughs> from me and be like, we have to get it up. All right. So we have an audience here, mostly a uh, uh, mix of founders, entrepreneurs, and LPs. One great piece of advice for LPs. What would you say to them that you... Are you legally allowed to say invest in Manus? <laughs> I can't. I don't know what the SEC rules are. Yeah. <laughs> what would you give their advice in terms of dealing, you know, today and looking at, you know, uh, GPs today and places to invest? What's your, what's your take? 
Well, I think like, I mean, I guess it's a general thing, which is, you know, again, we've talked a lot about relationships and the importance they played in our lives. And I think, you know, the way we all treat each other and respond to emails and calls and feedback, you know, I think some reason in our culture, it's become uh, an issue for people just to be straightforward and say no about things and, and give honest feedback and, and move on. And I think, you know, we can all learn a lot from just having more honest conversations with each other, even if, you know, you're not necessarily getting the responses you want. So, okay. um, and I know that's a big part of our ecosystem, which is, you know, saying no or yes to people basically. Um, but everything comes around and, you know, we've learned that a lot, you know. So. Okay, so a piece of advice, Drew, for entrepreneurs, founders here today. Yeah, I would say never forget what your core product is and what people love about that and make sure that every piece of innovation is derivative of that. Um, I see a lot of uh, friends of ours that have had really successful companies start to build like ancillary ancillary projects that don't really feed their core audience that they're just making to co you know compete with com you know their competition. Um, we do the same thing in songwriting, and you ca you can never lose sight of you know what people love about you the most. So it's obvious that the probably best path to becoming successful in VC is actually becoming successful in rock and roll first. Do you have any advice to us on that? <laughs> in becoming successful in rock and roll? Yeah, what do you think I should do? What I'm so I glad that we got successful 10 years ago because <laughs> if we had to start over now, I do not know how it would happen. Our TikTok page is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> TikTok, yeah. Not good at it. Yeah. <laughs> Chain smokers, thank you very much. Thank you.